Hello and welcome to Account Instruction Help and How To. In this lecture we're going to continue with the discussion of economics. We will be taking a look at the production possibility frontier as well as the idea of comparative advantage. At the end of this we will be able to describe what the production possibility frontier is, define and describe the concept of comparative advantage, describe how opportunity costs relate to the topic of comparative advantage, identify factors that will shift compare the proper the production possibility frontier and explain and apply the role of a comparative advantage in international trade. So first want to get the idea of what the production possibility curve is and get an idea of the production possibility curve. The production possibility curve will be a model. So it's going to be a simplified model like we've discussed before. We're going to re remove many factors within a particular model so that we can concentrate on a particular factor and a particular set of facts. And the reason for doing that is to see that it could if it can give us some idea about concepts as a whole that can be applicable to a whole. So the idea that we're going to have here is we're going to start with an individual. We can do the same thing. We can do a similar thing and we will do for a firm as well as for entire countries. But we're going to start with an individual and we're going to say that this individual has two things that they can then produce and think about their options in terms of what they can produce in terms of these two particular things. Oftentimes when we think about something like this, we often think about someone, for example, stranded on a desert island or let's say a tropical island in this case we could think of like a Tom Hanks standard on the island in Castaway and no one's there except for Tom so he doesn't have anyone else to trade with except for Wilson who's a ball so can't, Wilson can't really do all that much and Tom's gonna have to spend most of his days doing let's say one of two things we could say he can fish or we can say he can gather firewood so he can either fish or gather firewood or do some type of combination between those two things for his time during that day to get by for those days. Now, obviously, again, if we're talking about our personal life, we have different types of things other than two options. That's clear. But the idea of just having these two options, limiting these two options, can give us some ideas of how we can make decisions and what are the costs of those types of decisions. So if we were to graph this and we were to just think about the fish on the y-axis or vertical axis. We're going to think about the firewood gathering in terms of units on the x-axis, on the horizontal axis. And we're just going to think about how much he can get in terms of one or the other. We're going to assume that he can, he's can he gotten good at fishing. This is like halfway through the movie where he's getting good at fishing. And he can get like 30 fish if he's spent all day doing fishing. If on the other hand, he spent all day doing uh, firewood gathering, he's, he's gathered all the firewood around the general area, so it's gonna, he only get, gets 10 units of firewood on the x-axis, and if he spends all day getting firewood, we're going to say units of firewood, like good units of firewood. So if we imagine those two points, if we imagine the point in terms of the y-axis at 30 fish and zero firewoods, it's on the y-axis, 30 fish, zero firewoods, and we look at the x-axis and we say, okay, he can get 10 units of firewood, and zero fish, so it's on the x-axis, we have two points there, and if we draw a straight line between those two points, then we're going to say that any combination that is on that straight line is possible for Tom Hanks to produce in a day on the island. For example, it could make 24 units of fish and 2 units of firewood, or 9 units of fish and 7 units of firewood, anything on that line possible for Tom to produce in that day. Now, anything within that curve, anything that's under or in the, that triangle, if we're imagining this triangle on our production possibility curve, 
And I know that it's not a curve right now. It's kind of a straight line right now. We will have a curve later on. We'll discuss why it curves at some point and why some don't curve. But any point within there, he can also produce. So say he wanted to produce like 20 units of fish and uh, two units of firewood. Well, that's inside the production possibility frontier. Therefore, that's doable. It's, just, it's not efficient. If we're any, anywhere within the production possibility frontier, we're not being efficient in terms of those two units that we could have produced. He's probably introduced some other thing that we're not in, in our production possibility such as just hanging out with Wilson or something like that, which that, of course, has the opportunity cost of losing these other two things. But just in terms of these two things, it, we're not efficient in terms of just fishing and in terms of firewood. Now, what if Tom wants to have more than 30 fish and he wants to have, uh, you know, more than 10 units of firewood? We want, want 35 fish and 15 units of firewood in a day. Well, that's outside of the production possibility frontier. And at this point in time, that is not possible. We can't produce outside of the production possibility frontier now you're probably thinking that there's factors there's things that could happen that could shift the production we'll talk about that later but at any given time whatever that production possibility frontier is is what it is at that given point in time and the concept is of course we are efficient if we're producing on the production possibility frontier we don't know which two we should produce we don't know if we should produce 30 fish or 10 uh, firewood or somewhere in between probably somewhere in between but we can, if we're efficient if we're anywhere on that curve, or that line in this case. And if we're anywhere inside that line, we are inefficient, meaning we've wasted time in terms of those two particular things in which we're measuring. And we cannot produce outside that area. So that's going to be the general rule. We can also see from this, from this graph that if, if we wanted to produce more fish, there's a cost to it. There's no dollars out there. You might be saying, well, it doesn't cost anything in dollars, but dollars is just a unit to help us to trade. If we did not have dollars, we would not then lose costs of things. So if we, in this case, if we just think of two different things, of course, if we produce, for example, uh, one more unit of firewood, what are we giving up? Three fish in order to do that. We, we could have produced three fish in the time that it took one unit of firewood. If we produce one more unit of fish at any given time on the straight line analysis, then we, we lose like 0.33 in terms of firewood. So there's still a cost. What do we call that cost? Opportunity cost. It's the cost of the other thing that we could have done. Now, again, of course, that applies in our world as, as well. You can see how this application applies when there's more than two things. <laughs> the idea being that everything has some type of opportunity cost. That being very clear, if we simplify our model, that's what models are for. In a simplified model of just two things, it's very clear that if we do one thing, we have an opportunity cost of what we gave up in terms of what we could have done with the other thing if those were the only two things in the world of things that we want to do. So this is the idea, of course, of, of scarcity, meaning there's only so many things that we can produce. There's only so many things that we can produce and therefore so many things that we can consume. And we're assuming that we would like to consume more all the time. We want more than what we can <laughs> we can produce most of the time and therefore we have to make a decision in terms of what we are going to make now we're going to move to the idea of comparative advantage so comparative advantage means that we're going to have more than one individual we're going to move from one individual to at least two or more our model is going to be two people we're going to introduce another person and if there's trade then the idea of the comparative advantage would be that everybody would be best if each individual focused on that activity which they have the lowest opportunity cost to focus on 
So what does that mean? Well, we want most people would interpret that to mean that everybody should do what they're best at. And that's going to be the normal way when we introduce this, what people mainly say. They say, well, some people are good at some things and other people are good at other things. And therefore, one person good, that's good at this should do this and the other person that's good at that should do that. That is true for the most part. But there's a difference between uh, the opportunity cost that we're talking about and an absolute advantage as, co as compared to a comparative advantage. It's very possible for one individual to be good at both things that we're talking about better than the other individual. And the, the great thing is that we still benefit from trade, meaning the, the, the person that's not as good as either thing can still benefit by focusing in on the thing which they have the, most, the lowest opportunity cost for. And the person that's good at both things, meaning they have an absolute advantage at both things, still benefits from focusing on what they have the lowest opportunity cost in doing. For example, if we imagine basically a father and son going, going camping, and we have our same thing of gathering firewood and fishing, those are the two things they're going to spend all day doing in terms of chores or whatever time they put to the chores, it's very likely that the father is better at both the fishing and the gathering of the firewood. But it doesn't make sense that the son would just sit there and do nothing during the time that they're doing these tasks. It would, it would make sense that, uh, that the son could do the task that, that, that they're best at doing, has the lowest opportunity cost for it, same as the father, and that's how they would basically gather the, the most in terms of total. The other thing that's going to be interesting about this is that if some person gets better at something, if one of the two parties gets better, they specialize in some way and they've somehow found an innovation and say they get better at fishing, meaning they make a net rather than a spear or something like that. Well, that's going to improve not just their well-being, but also the other person's well-being. Because what does that do to the, to the price of the other thing that's not getting improved on? The person who's now concentrating on fishing is going to want to spend more time fishing Therefore, the opportunity cost for the firewood has gone up. So the other person that hasn't improved at all, they haven't done anything, is now the thing that they are concentrated in, firewood, is now more valuable. They can probably trade for more fish because of the improvement on one side. So innovation then through trade is going to benefit everyone, not just the person who has innovated. And that's going to be a, a huge benefit to, to everyone. So if we think about that on a larger scale, of course, we can think about the idea of, well, if countries get better at specializing in one thing, it's actually not just good for that country if, if they all can uh, specialize in trade, possibly benefiting everybody. And that's going to be a huge concept that could be beneficial. How does that apply to us kind of in the real world? Well, note that what we do is we're going to, we're going to specialize in one particular thing. We don't basically do everything, of course, in the real world. We don't make all of our clothes. We don't do all of our cooking. We don't do a lot of <laughs> normal things. And most things, we don't even know how they, they work. You know, they, we just do, you know. But we specialize in one particular thing, and we purchase the rest. That's basically how we do. So we specialize in something. Everything else that we have, everything else that we purchase, everything else that we use, we basically buy. Buying being a form of trade. We can also think of this principle in terms of decision-making. If we had a business, for example, and we wanted to think about uh, doing some kind of web design for the business or some marketing presence in terms of social media and that types of thing for the business, we can think about the costs to do that. And, and we would think about, okay, should we do it ourselves or we should, should we hire someone to do it? When we think about should we do it ourselves, we might have the cost of like the domain and certain kind of services that we'd have to buy in order to set the thing up. And those types of things, say, so cost like $200. And if we paid someone, say, it costs like $500. 
that that would be the the costs but we need to of course put in those opportunity costs as well those opportunity costs being the time that we're going to put involved in there where we could be doing something else if we're putting you know a few hours into doing this that we could be making money somewhere else then we have the opportunity costs of that time that we put into there so those those are some factors that need to be considered within uh, those types of calculations. keep in mind the differences between these terms absolute advantages as compared to comparative advantage a person has an absolute advantage at a particular task if they can perform the task in fewer hours than the other person meaning they're just basically better at doing a particular task a comparative advantage a person has a comparative advantage at a particular task if his or her opportunity cost of performing the task is lower than the other person's opportunity cost there's a big difference between those two things because again one person can have an absolute advantage at both tasks and still not have a comparative advantage so we want to keep that in mind let's take a look at some examples we will continue with the example of tom hanks he's cast away lost on the island and he can do either if he spent all day fishing 30 fish is what you can gather in terms of fishing if you spent all day gathering firewood 10 units of firewood is what tom could gather in a day we're going to add someone else to the equation now that someone else is now wilson so wilson has somehow gained some power so we're kind of comparing like castaway to lost or something wilson has abilities at this point and Wilson has somehow achieved the ability to, if they focus just on fishing, Wilson can get 10 fish. And if Wilson focuses just on firewood, Wilson can actually gather 10 units of firewood. If we assume that these two individuals do not get along and they're just going to produce their own stuff and consume their own stuff in terms of the fish and the firewood, meaning they're not going to trade, they're not going to share the fire, they're not getting along. Tom Hanks got some blood on Wilson's face and they're mad about it, so they're going to separate then they would have to produce along their own production possibility frontiers. For example, we might just take half of their time and split that time in half. If that was the case, then Wilson could produce five fish and five units of firewood. If Tom was just to split uh, their production, their time in half, his time in half, then he would have 15 fish and five units of firewood. If we were just to look at this in total, what does that mean? Well, we would have 20 fish in total between the two of them, even though they're not trading and they're not getting along with it, and we'd have the total in terms of firewood 10 units of firewood now if we think about specialization in terms of the people doing the two individuals doing what they're best at and somehow trading in some way we can see that well tom has a has a comparative advantage in terms of fish meaning that every unit of firewood that tom uh, produces we, we said that cost him three fish and every unit of fish cost him 0.33 firewood so we would think that tom would then want to produce the fish so if tom did that we produce fish 30 units of fish for tom if he spent all his time doing that if we had wilson then spend all the time that he has a comparative advantage in and that comparative advantage being in the production of firewood then wilson would produce 10 units of firewood and so if we just look if we just did this if we just split up the tasks in this way we would have we would end up with 10 more fish if we if we split it even evenly we had 20 fish if we had this split up in terms of specialization, we have 30 fish and the same units of firewood. So just by that specialization, even though neither of them got any better at what they're doing, we would have more stuff. Now, of course, if we were able to trade that stuff, we would be better off. If we're not able to trade, we have a problem here because now Tom's got 30 units of fish, but he's got no fire to cook it with, although he's got pretty good at eating it raw at this time, but it does get cold there too. He'd kind of like the fire. And then, of course, Wilson would have... Uh, 10 units of firewood and no fish and you might think that Wilson doesn't need fish but we're assuming Wilson needs fish at this case so they you would think that they would want to trade in this in this part 
And of course, if they were reasonable, they would trade. They would want to do this and they would want to trade. For example, it you would think that Tom would want firewood and in order to get that firewood, if he was to do it himself, he would have to give up three units of fish. Therefore, if he could trade with Wilson for anything less than three units, say two units, two fish, <laughs> then he would get the firewood at a cheaper at a cheaper price. And then Wilson, being the smart volleyball that he is, is, is willing to trade the firewood. He can get more than one more than his opportunity cost, which is one fish. So Wilson's opportunity cost for the firewood would be one unit of fish. If he can get more than one unit of fish, say two units, then or two fish in this case, two units of fish, then he can get he would be willing to do that. So we can see how the trade would naturally try to facilitate itself because people would be lo looking to do what's most cost effective in that situation. Of course, in order for this to happen, the two have to be in proximity, they have to be able to communicate, they have to have all the information involved in order for them to facilitate that trade in such a way that both are better off within that trade. Now, the interesting thing here is that if one of these two individuals, if Tom or Wilson, get better at what they're specializing in, then it actually benefits not only them, but the other person as well. And that's the kind of the shocking thing that, that's pretty interesting, meaning like, let's say Tom gets better at fishing He's, he went from a spear to like a net or something like that. Instead of getting 30 fish, he can get 40 fish now. Well, if that's the case, then the cost for firewood has now gone up. Because it used to cost, if he's getting better at fishing, if he specialized in fishing, now for Tom to spend his time uh, gathering firewood, it costs him more fish because he's so good at fishing. It used to cost him three fish. Now it costs him four fish to go gather firewood. Therefore, Wilson who is doing the firewood gathering has more valuable firewood and therefore can trade that firewood for a higher price more fish and again you can see this how this application could apply to countries and, and people that are getting better countries that are getting better at particular tasks through specialization we usually kind of often just fear that kind of thing but it's also the case that that kind of thing could be beneficial not just to that country but to other countries because the more they spend their time doing that the more valuable the other resources that aren't having that time spent on it uh, could potentially be. Note that what we're discussing here means that we're looking for places that we have a comparative advantage, not necessarily an absolute advantage. And that idea is, is huge because that means that we know in, in our markets, we know that we're not the best at anything that we particularly do. Probably there's probably most things that we do for most people. There's going to be people out there that are better at some particular things than we are or that have an absolute advantage out there. But we can still do the thing that we have the comparative advantage in, and in so doing, through specialization and trade, we can still benefit not only ourselves, but other people. So the, the idea here is that we're not looking really necessarily to get an absolute advantage in anything. What we're looking to is to increase our comparative advantage. And what are the things that would do that? What are the things that kind of differentiate? Well, one, of course, is just going to be natural talent. That's the thing that most people kind of think about. And when you think of talent, Oftentimes you're thinking about those really extreme areas, things like people that are really good in particular arts or things that like sports, where you're thinking of people that are, have just a natural ability that's outside the norm. And those things being rare, of course, mean that they do get, they have a big advantage and therefore get paid a lot oftentimes in those types of areas because of that difference in terms of uh, the comparative advantage. The natural resources in terms of countries is going to be another area. If we're talking about oil, if we're talking about like farmland, just climate and these types of things could give people a comparative advantage or countries a comparative advantage in particular areas. 
we could have comparative advantage in just kind of like norms and things like that. So if we have people that, for example, if we're thinking about outsourcing and things like that, we, we want to relate to a target market. If we're relating to a particular target market, uh, we could have language and things like that, different types of, uh, if we know different languages or if we're better at a different language or a particular culture, that could give us comparative advantage uh, if we're targeting different cultures in terms of customer service and these types of things. Now, I want to bring us back to the production possibility frontier because that's where we started out at. We talked about comparative advantage. Now let's just think about comparative advantage in terms of the production possibility frontier. Note that we started off with Tom Hanks saying that he had uh, can produce 30 fish, fish on the y-axis, or he can have five units of firewood on the x-axis. And if we plotted those two points, we had 30 fish on the y-axis and zero firewood, or five fish on the x-axis and zero fire, five firewood on the x-axis and zero fish. And if we drew the line there, we'd have Tom Hanks' production possibility frontier. We said he can produce anything within that production possibility frontier. Anything on the production possibility frontier would be efficient. Anything outside the production possibility frontier was not possible given the resources at uh, Tom Hanks' hands at a particular point in time. If we now put Wilson on there, we know that Wilson, if we draw Wilson's own uh, production possibility frontier on the same graph, then we're going to say Wilson can produce five units of fish and five units of firewood. We draw his production possibility frontier. We can see that triangle. Everything within the triangle then is something that Wilson can can do. Everything on the production possibility curve then is something that would be efficient for Wilson. Anything outside it is something that Wilson could not do. Now note what we just talked about in terms of specialization and trade. What does that mean in terms of these two production possibility frontiers? It means that we can plot a point that is outside of both of Tom's and Wilson's production possibility frontier, meaning they can consume more than they could have if they were producing on their own. And that's the benefit, of course. So that's how this will usually be displayed. We're usually, when we're talking about the production possibility frontier, we want to think about it in terms of one individual, one firm, one company. Then we usually think about the idea of introducing another firm or company and plotting two production possibility frontiers to show the fact that we can produce outside of both of their production possibility frontiers, meaning both countries through specialization and trade can consume more than either of them could consume prior even if one of those two individuals or countries had an absolute advantage in both areas this idea again being applicable to the concept being applicable to things even if we had more goods that we're talking about this idea of opportunity cost this idea of trade being applicable to more than just two goods the same concept that we've been talking about with Tom Hanks and Wilson on an island can, of course, be applicable to large countries as well. So if we think about large countries, we can think about the same concept. And again, we know that we, we have more than two units of production, two goods, but the concept can be applicable thinking about these two units. So let's think about these same two units for an entire country now. And again, we've just got the same type of axis. We've got the fish on the y-axis and we've got firewood, or maybe we'll call it something like coal now on the x-axis so we can have fish or we can have coal. Those are the two units of good for the, for the entire country. Now when we think about something that's going to be for the entire country, we oftentimes will not just plot a straight line through those two points. We're usually going to have a bowed outline. So if you imagine what the bowed outline will look like, notice we have one-fourth of the graph here. If you took a circle and you put it on there, we got one-fourth of a circle. We got a bowed out line on our graph. Why, well, first of all, what does that mean? If we think about the boat outline, what does that mean? 
Well, if we if we start to specialize in fish, meaning we're we're producing higher towards the fish axis, and we're we're producing more fish than firewood, then as we get closer to that y axis, what happens is that every new unit of fish is now costing more in terms of firewood. So each next unit of fish now the opportunity cost in terms of firewood is actually going up. And if on the other hand we started focusing and we did mostly firewood, we're specializing in firewood, we're producing more firewood than fish, we're doing most fire, or in this case coal, we're doing mostly coal rather than fish, then as we get closer to the x-axis in that case, then every new unit of firewood is costing us more in opportunity cost in terms of fish as we get closer. So why would that be? Why is this bow shape basically happening? Why do we represent a country in terms of a bow when we are representing the individual in terms of a straight line? This mainly has to do with the idea that we're going to have resources that are not completely suited to one task or the other. For example, if we were to focus in on making fish and we started to specialize in terms that we're making almost all fish and very little coal, then the resources that could have been there to make coal, I mean, if we're talking about uh, natural resources in terms of trees and whatnot, maybe we've built all the boats we could out of those and possibly the natural resources in terms that would be better for the alternate activity in terms of coal versus fish would not be as applicable. They wouldn't be used as well. Or for example, if we're talking about people skills in terms of talent, it could be that some people just aren't as good at fishing. We might have people that are scared of the ocean or don't like making nets or pointy spears and hooks are not their thing. Well, if we're applying their skills towards fishing when they would be better at uh, the other activity, coal or whatnot, then we're not putting their skills to the highest use. So the idea is that even though we may have an advantage, a comparative advantage in the production of fish, as we get closer to specializing in that area, those things that aren't best suited for that particular task are not put to the, to the best use. And of course, the same applies to coal. So if we started producing all coal, the things that are applied best to fish uh, would not be well used and that's gonna that's what's creating this bow shaped uh, production possibility curve what that means from a practical standpoint is that if we start to expand in what we're producing if we decide that we're gonna put some of these resources to different uses then we want to start applying resources that have the lowest opportunity cost so if we if we're producing fish and we, we start to expand on what we're doing we want to make sure that we're pulling the stuff away from fit uh, the production of fish that have the lowest opportunity cost first and, and then applying those to the other resource as we as we expand. When we've been talking about the production possibility f uh, frontier, we've been talking as if things are static, as, as if things don't change. You might get the idea that we're talking as if things don't change, as if things are what they are, we can produce inside it, or we can produce at a, on the production possibility curve, we can't produce outside it, it's what, is what it starts to look like. But remember that that production possibility curve is only as of a specific per point in time. So it's a theoretical concept in terms of as of this specific point in time, this is what is possible. Can it change at later points in time? Yeah, of course, it, it can change with different things that would happen. Well, how would we want it to change? Well, we'd want it to go outwards. We'd want it to shift outwards in order for us to then be able to consume more stuff with less activity. So that's going to be the idea. What types of things would shift the production possibility out? So if we're thinking about that, that quarter circle, how can we move that quarter circle outwards so that there's more space in under it representing the fact that we can produce more things and therefore consume more things. Uh, so we could have more resources. For example, we could have a population growth is one example. And we know that labor and population and skill, just skill 
is something that can shift out that production possibility frontier. Of course, as that happens, as we have more people, we also have more consuming <laughs> the things that we produce as well. Uh, we could have more investment. So for whatever reason, if more investment went into a particular company, well then, of course, that investment, if spent wisely, can shift out the production possibility frontier. Uh, the thing that probably comes to most people's mind at this point in time would be the technology, meaning technology improves. So if technology improves, that shifts out the production possibility frontier. That has happened, of course, a lot in the last few hundred years. So, for example, if we got better at, at nets or something like that in terms of fishing, then we can shift out the production possibility frontier, and, and that would uh, increase our level of possible consumption. Uh, and just increase in general knowledge overall, or we've talked about the increase in labor. I, of course, there's more focus on it, especially in, in post-industrial countries, countries that are going post-industrial for an emphasis that would be on specialization in terms of knowledge. Now, when we think about this shifting out, you can think about it as something that would shift out the entire curve. So if we had just a population growth in general and it was evenly distributed, then you could think about the um, that half circle line bowing out evenly and it shifts out evenly. So now we could produce an even uh, proportion more of both fish and coal. But you can also think of it as shifting out unevenly. So, for example, if we got better at fishing, if we got better nets at fishing, or if we were able to increase the fish population or something, then you can think about the fish, of course, would bow upwards. We can produce more fish, but we would know that the coal would basically stay the same. There hasn't been an advance there. What would that do? Well, we know that that would mean that fish to us is more special. We would want to produce more fish because now we have a comparative advantage. We would have increased our comparative advantage in terms of fish. For us to produce coal in that case would cost us more in terms of fish. So, so that would be the result of, of technology change in, in that type of case. And of course, the same could be true if we had a technology change in terms of coal and no, no technology change in fish. We would have a shift out in terms of the x-axis in terms of coal. Now, we've talked a lot about specialization being really good for the most part. We've said, and you might be asking, why don't more countries just specialize? Why is specializing slow in different areas? And this has been thought about in a lot of different places. There's some things that are going to be beneficial to specialization, meaning specialization happens more often when certain things are taking place. One is that when we have more dense populations, people tend to specialize more. And there might be multiple reasons for this. We, if we have more dense populations, people obviously communicate more. We have less barriers in terms of transportation. People probably get better at different language barriers and that type of things when people are in basically pro close proximity. So that can increase the specialization. Improvements in transportation are also a factor in terms of specialization. So if, when roads get better, when we're able to also communicate, transportation also increases communication oftentimes in terms of the language barriers and things like that. Obviously, huge improvements in terms of communication as well as transportation have connected more people and that's going to increase the, the ability for specialization in many different areas. There's also things like legal frameworks. So if we're talking about the specialization between countries, then we need to know that uh, the, the laws are going to be basically the same. If there's anything like tariffs or barriers between countries, that of course is going to be something that would be difficult to specialization because of course if one person specializing and they cannot trade with the other country or person, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult to have that specialization. Are there problems to specialization? Yeah, of course it's going to be problems. And this, this was recognized all the way back, you know, Adam Smith was recognizing problems within specialization. He had like a pen factory was, was the idea of the specialization. And he recognized the fact that when people specialize, they tend to be working on a particular task. You can think of th people when we were uh, industrializing, 
con we had workers that were doing particular thing. He had a pen manufacturer, you can imagine, doing one particular thing in one particular piece of a pen, and that being a very repetitive task. And there are, of course, huge downsides to just doing one repetitive task. One of them being that we're not basically being as mentally stimulated as we were, as if we were doing other types of things. People tend to like to do different things than just one particular thing. And so that's going to, one of the costs that are within the, uh, the specialization has been recognized. And of course, we need to measure these costs and benefits. We're going to have an increase in terms of the production and we have a cost in, in terms of some of these types of things. Now, even within manufacturing, there has been changes since, since the, as the industrialization has going forward in terms of a lot of uh, factories are now having uh, different tasks for, for individuals, meaning they have a group of tasks for different reasons. But uh, this, is, this is one of the problems that we have with specialization. We can see that within, with entire countries as well that specialize in a particular thing and, and may not have opportunities for people that aren't uh, as inclined to the thing that uh, the country is being specialized in. So we have those types of problems. The principle of specialization and trade can be applied to countries as well, trade between countries. And the idea would be the same, that if countries were able to specialize and produce what they're best at in terms of what they have the lowest opportunity cost to produce and then trade, we would be able to produce more and therefore consume more for each individual country. But obviously trade policies are a big deal and there's a lot of arguments on both sides of the trade policy. The basic idea is that overall, usually the trade is going to be better off for everybody overall. But there's going to be, of course, problems in particular industries. And particular industries could be could suffer and particular jobs could suffer. So because of that, there is going to be a lot of controversy in terms of the international trade policies. For example, a lot of service work is going overseas in terms of technical service, technical support, or just normal kind of support. Phone service support is, is being outsourced. We also have outsourcing of manufacturing jobs. The, U, the U.S. is generally thought to be a post-industrial country, so a lot of the manufacturing areas are now moving entirely to, to different areas. This change, of course, is a very concerning to people in those areas and can cause a lot of disruption in a lot of different areas. Now, there's, of course, limits to the outsourcing. Even, with, even if we have the free trade, the limits to outsourcing being just the quality of service. Companies need to consider the quality of service when they're outsourcing. If we're thinking of th things like uh, the phone service, the technical support service, is the quality there, is the, is the knowledge there. We also th need to think about, the companies need to think about whether or not the individuals can relate to the target market they're dealing with as well. And so we have the cost-benefit analysis as well. Some things we just can't outsource, of course. So when we're thinking about uh, outsourcing or what types of industries will and will not be outsourced, of course, things that need a presence here, for example, restaurants or something like that, would be difficult to outsource the restaurant. Uh, maybe they can fly it in with drones or something like that, but that would be difficult. Uh, if there's some kind of specialized skill or specialized communication, so things like law and things where the specialized skill is within a certain area, if we're talking about law within especially state law or local law or even just U.S. law, these are going to be more specialized areas, which would be more difficult to outsource that kind of specialized knowledge. When we're thinking about careers, then, the advice is generally to be flexible to be able to change, and that's, not, that's easier said than done oftentimes, but... Uh, in the U.S., we're becoming post-industrial, so some of these are some of the factors that can, we could consider in terms of deciding the career path as we go forward. As a recap, we have first dis discussed the production possibility curve for an individual. We then discussed production possibility curves for two individuals and two countries or two countries. 
and that would give us the idea of the comparative advantage, meaning that people are better off through specialization and trade. That specialization and trade is basically the economy. That's the formation of the economy. That's the market working. As individuals and countries specialize and trade within the market, we tend to get better at certain areas, and as we specialize and get better and specialize in these areas, the opportunity cost for us to do other things then goes up. And therefore, that's basically why, of course, we focus on a smaller amount of things. When we think about our lives, we basically focus on the things that we do, and everything else we basically trade for in the, in the form of buying, purchasing with money. So we focus in on what we do, we specialize in a particular area, and we buy everything else. That's comparative advantage.